sort of two separate messages today because one's going to be really, really short and the other's only going to be partly short. Okay? So, um, who said woo? <laughs> Cheers, quite over there. Okay. So, first one's going to be Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Can I have a volunteer to read it for me, please? Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oaths, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one head white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the other one. Hmm. I don't really have to explain that that much, do I? Like, um, keep your promises. Tell the truth. Um, always tell the truth. Never lie. There is no such thing as a white lie. Um, we might try and convince ourselves that, oh, it's only a white lie, it didn't hurt anyone, and it got me out of trouble. Um, I guess the whole point of the thing is always tell the truth. Um, Jesus is the truth like he's truth personified he said I am the truth and I guess as disciples of Christ we should be disciples of the truth and walking in the truth Um, I heard a story once of of his boss was a head of a giant multinational corporation or whatever and and he was hired as his personal assistant and um, Anyway, a phone call came for his boss. This was on his very first day. And he, he said to his boss, oh, so-and-so's on the phone. He said, tell him I'm not here. And he said, you tell him yourself. And the boss was just furious with him. And he had to talk to this fellow on the phone, but just absolutely furious. I'm the boss and I tell you what's going on. And he says, well, the thing is, if I can lie for you, I can lie to you. And from that day on, that man became the most trusted employee that, that his boss ever had. And he was trusted with everything because he just, he just knew that he would have the utmost discretion and he would never tell him a lie. Um, and God wants us to be men and women of absolute integrity. Uh, we shouldn't ever even try to mislead someone without technically telling a lie. We should just say what we mean mean what we say and we shouldn't ever have to back it up with oaths. Like, you know how sometimes you have to get somebody to promise you before you actually understand them? I know sometimes in conversations with someone they say, honestly, such and such, honestly, such and such, and you sort of sometimes find yourself wondering, I wonder if they're telling me the truth when they don't say honestly. Um, Yeah. Anyway, anybody have any questions about that? Simple, hey. Just not so simple to do it. Um, Yeah. Alrighty. Um, Next reading. Matthew 5, 31 to 32. Good one for Mother's Day. As being said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Mm. Um, Fred was leaning on the bar and he confided in Bill that he was going to get a divorce. He said, 
She hasn't spoken to me in five months. Not a word, he said. Bill pondered this for a moment and he said, don't be too hasty, Fred. Women like that are hard to find. <laughs> in, um, you didn't think that was funny, Tiana, at all. <laughs> in 2011, in Australia, there were just under 122,000 new marriages. In the same year, there were just under 50,000 divorces. So that's one divorce for every two and a half marriages but who of us could guess how many de facto marriages ended in a de facto divorce in the same period? Because those records obviously aren't kept. Today, 78% of couples live together before they get married. And many people never get married and they live in multiple de facto relationships. So they have a number of partners over their lifetime. When God instituted marriage, he intended a lifelong union between a man and a woman at the exclusion of all others. Genesis 2 verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Today we've become a country with an epidemic of divorce. Uh, the median duration from marriage to divorce for divorcing couples is 12.2 years. That's not very long, is it? We, 12.2 years. Most of us tend to keep our cars longer than that. Um, do we? I, I, I will be. <laughs> he does, yeah. He, he probably buys one 12.2 years old and keeps it another 12.2. Um, The Family Law Act, which came in in 1975, and this is straight from the Family Law website, established the principle of no-fault divorce in Australian law. This means that the court does not consider which partner was at fault in the marriage breakdown. The only ground for divorce is the irretrievable breakdown of the relationship demonstrated by 12 months of separation. So that's how marriages get ended today. If you can live apart from the other person for 12 months, then that's proof to the courts that your relationship with your wife or with your husband is irretrievable and you can get a divorce. And some of us might think, well, gee, that's easy, getting a divorce just like that. But it was even easier to get a divorce in Jesus' day. You see, in a world where men ruled and women were sometimes seen as second-class citizens... Jewish husbands could divorce their wives for virtually any reason. Um, Even if a wife burnt the bread that she was baking, that was a good enough reason to get the divorce. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and if... Confession comes later. (laughs) But but it was really easy for the man to divorce the woman Um, and the only requirement on him was to furnish her with a certificate so that she could prove that she was divorced and so she could then remarry again. So, I mean, we sort of read that as going, well... 
you know, that, isn't that lousy? You just writes out a certificate and, 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 and then she's free. Well, the thing is, the certificate was far better than, than, than before God, Moses said that you had to write out the certificate because then they would have just been left um, and couldn't prove that, that they were leg- free to get married again and nobody would be looking after them. But that was their practice. Marriage had become cheap. Uh, marriage no longer required commitment. Uh, and it's very similar today. Marriage has become cheap and many people don't understand the commitment. Because when you get married, you are entering a covenant. It, it is a covenant to a lifelong union. Marriage between a man and a woman is meant to be a sign and a witness of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. Just as we, the church, belong to Christ, husbands and wives belong to each other. Just as we honour Christ and he forgives us when we fail him, husbands and wives must honour one another and forgive each other when they fail each other. Just as we make a commitment to Christ and to him alone, husbands and wives make a commitment to each other at the exclusion of all others. And and that's what marriage is supposed to be, a witness and a sign to the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. And in Revelations it talks about the church being this spotless bride being presented to, to Jesus Christ when he returns. One of the last things that, the Old Te- that God says in the Old Testament, he said through the prophet Malachi, uh, reading from chapter 2.13, he's talking to, to um, just people in general in, his, in Israel. Another thing you do, you flood Yahweh's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? Why is it? Why? It is because Yahweh is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not Yahweh made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he is seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says Yahweh God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says Yahweh Almighty. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not break faith. But I don't know, there's some real passion in there when God's talking about marriage. That's God's standard. That's what he requires. Now, I'm a bit disappointed in myself because I really wanted to include this section on divorce when I preached last week, um, but I ran out of time. Last week, we were confronted with some impossible standards to keep. Did anybody, some of you were there last week, did anyone else get to see it on? Listen to it off the web? No? Okay. Last week we encountered some, what I find to be, impossible standards to keep. If you're angry with someone, 
you're a murderer. If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. Now, these things are impossible standards. And the only outcome from, from reading and hearing what Jesus says to us in these situations, the only possible outcome is to come to a realisation, I'm a sinner. <coughs> what hope is there for me? I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved from my sin. And the two themes I picked up on last week were mercy and transformation. We have all failed, we have all sinned and we all need God's mercy. God loves us just as we are. That's mercy. And while we were all sinners, he gave to us Jesus Christ to save us from sin. But God loves us too much to let us stay as we are. He wants to transform us. God forgives us, not so that we can go on sinning, but so that we can be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now, you don't want to stay the way you are, do you? Um, when I was confronted by what I read last week, you know, when I'm angry with somebody, I'm a murderer. When I'm lusting after somebody, I, I, I'm, I'm an adulterer. Um, you don't want to stay like that. I don't want to stay like that. I don't want to keep going with anger in my heart. I want God to transform me so that I have love and peace in my heart instead of anger. I want him to transform me so that I just have a good, pure love for people. And I really wanted to hold this section of divorce together with what I preached on last week. Mercy and transformation. Because a lot of people need to hear Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Last week we talked about how adultery and murder aren't actually the sin. They're simply the outworking of the sin. The sin is our attitude toward God. The sin is is the lust that we have in our heart. The sin is the anger that we have in the heart. Sin is what's in the heart and it's demonstrated by what we then do. And with this passage on adultery and divorce, if, if we start reading this passage as just a legal requirement, then we've missed the whole point of Jesus' teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is proclaiming that we have to have pure hearts. It's not just what we do, it's what we think and what we feel and what we harbour in our hearts. And the principle here that Jesus is driving home is husbands, do not betray your wives. Divorcing your wife is betrayal. Is a betrayal of the covenant that you made with her. She deserves better than that and you made a commitment to give her better than that. But in the context of what we just read earlier, We have to also understand that it's not just what you do, it's what's in your heart. It's not just what you do to your wife, it's what you harbour in your heart about your wife. And God's word is cling to her, hold fast to her, love her, cherish her, hold her above all other women 
in your heart and in your mind. Let your wife be your desire. And women, do not betray your husbands. Cling to him. Hold fast to him. Love him. Cherish him. Honour him. Hold him above all other men in your heart and in your mind. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. There is one exception that Jesus gave, and that was adultery. But we have to understand that this exception is not given as an excuse to escape a difficult marriage. We can't just look at this as the out clause. What it does is it exonerates those who have genuinely wished and tried to save their marriages but they've been unable to do so because of their spouse's unrepentant abuse of the marriage covenant. Now, you realise that that if we were taking this as a rule, that if it was taken as a rule in Jesus' day, adultery being the only grounds for divorce, then there would be no divorces in Jesus' day. Not because... That's right. Not because there was no adultery, but because there was consequences attached to adultery. And if you had proof that that your wife or, or your husband was in an adulterous relationship, that the same proof that you would need for your divorce would be used in their trial and they would be stoned to death because adultery was punishable by death. And if you divorced your spouse on on that proof, then they would be stoned. And so Jesus is really setting up here another impossible standard for us to keep. No divorce. So, what if you are divorced? And we have to really keep this in mind when we talk with people about marriage and divorce because so many people in our communities and in our lives have been divorced. And we always have to have this word of grace that God gives to us. We have to hear divorce is not the unforgivable sin. And divorce the same as any other sin. When you confess your sin when you confess for whatever part you've been responsible for in the failure of your marriage, you receive the forgiveness of God. And we need to know that. And the people out in the world need to know that as well. And so when we confess these things, we are forgiven by God, we receive the mercy of God, and you are free. Whatever sin it is, when you confess your sin to God, He takes it away and you're free of it. You don't have to continue on and think, oh, God, you remember when I confessed such and such sin to you a couple of years ago and God will say, no. Because the Bible tells us that God forgives us of our sins. He removes them as far as the east is from the west and it tells us that he remembers them no more. Now that's not because he's forgetful. It's because he has forgiven us that much. He just wipes out all memory. But if a sin is a matter of the heart, and this is where it starts to get personal for us, if sin is a matter of the heart, it's not only those who have actually gone through the legal process of divorce 
who need to repent. I know there's things I need to repent of in my marriage. And without knowing your marital secrets, I know there's things that you guys need to repent of in your marriages. It's married couples who live distant lives, rarely talking to one another. It's when you just take your spouse for granted. It's when you deny the other the intimacy that cements your relationship. It's when you desire another person to be in the place of your spouse. It's when anger drives your attitude towards the other or when selfishness drives your desires. It's when you dish out the silent treatment or when you give them a piece of your mind. It's when the husband doesn't love his wife like he loves his own body or when the wife doesn't respect her husband. We all need to repent of these things because God holds marriage highly. And when we repent of these things, we experience the mercy of God and he forgives us. But with all things, again, God wants us to have a transformation take place in us. Part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, part of kingdom living is transform marriages. Husbands, look at your wives. Look into their eyes. Come on, you two. Look in your eyes. Um, If you're not married, watch and learn, okay? (laughs) So look at, just just look at each other and... um, if you've been married for a while, you'll probably be able to communicate without saying a word. I know there's certain looks that we just don't miss, isn't there, men? Um, well, I can't speak on behalf of a woman. Um, but looking in your wife's eyes, is there things in your marriage that you think need to be transformed? Is there stuff in your marriage that need to be transformed? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, merciful God, our Saviour, we made vows on our wedding day and in so many ways we've failed to keep them. We've not loved our wives as Christ loved the church. We've not respected and honoured one another. We've not held fast to one another. We've not cherished and forgiven one another. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for when we've desired someone other than our spouse and for breaking faith with the wife or husband of our youth. Father, forgive us. And Heavenly Father, please fill us with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would work a wonderful, recreative transformation in our marriages. 
so that our marriages will truly be a sign and a witness of the relationship between Christ and his church. Lord, deepen our love, strengthen our bond and fill our marriages with joy and peace. And Lord, we pray for those here today who are not yet married. Lord, may they, even today, be preparing for the one that they will marry by honouring marriage in society and by keeping themselves pure in preparation for their day of marriage. We pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.